If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, in today's episode, we will have a not-to-miss conversation with Kevin Greer about incorporating a period of rest into your nonprofit's year. The reason we're going to have this conversation is not just burnout, but honestly, this sense of overwhelm and overwork is at an all-time high in our sector. The needs and the demands to meet those needs just feels like it's never-ending. And it feels like no matter how much we work, how many hours, how many days, we just can't do it all. And that's why we've asked Kevin Greer to join us. Kevin is the Chief Administrative Officer at New Profit. By the way, he's actually served in multiple positions at New Profit over the last year. And in his CAO position, he plays key roles in operations, people, and talent. And really what he seeks to do is to align the organization's work commitments with its available capacity. Let me also just share a brief little bit about New Profit. You might not have heard of them. They're essentially a venture philanthropy organization that is changing the world by helping nonprofits grow and scale. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I know that New Profit has implemented a rest policy or a rest period within its organization. What made you all realize you needed one? So there were two things, I would say. The first was circumstantial. And so we started thinking about doing this realistically in the summer of 2021 which was, you know, roughly 18 months into the pandemic. And as you just mentioned in your introduction, our staff were experiencing many of the same feelings that you described, burnout, exhaustion, overwhelming. There's so many things going on. And so we felt like our staff really needed some space to step away and to reset. And so we called it a radical reset. And it took place in August and September of 2021. So that was the first reason. The second reason we decided to do it is because we really 
fundamentally believe that in order to do the hard work that new profit is doing, that nonprofits are doing to change systems, to address really deeply entrenched problems, that it requires rest. It requires people to be creative. It requires people to be adaptive. We have to be able to connect with each other. And that can all be really, really challenging to do. And we need to be the best that we can as ourselves individually before we're able to do that work. And I'll say one thing, our co-CEO, Tulane Montgomery, who's written an article on this topic, likes to say that when machines pause, they stop. And when humans pause, we start. And by that, what she means is that when we have the opportunity to rest, we start reflecting and we start designing and we start integrating our learning and doing all the things that are really required to do the work that nonprofits are doing in the world and to change the systems we're trying to change. And so for us, it was both of those things. It was very tactical sort of need that we felt and heard from our staff and a real belief that in order to drive impact and greater impact in the work that we were doing, the rest is an important component. Let me also just say, we are going to be linking to Tulane Montgomery's article as well in the show notes. I've read the article. It is such a good article, friends, and you're going to want to read it as well. Sounds like this was born out of that general sense, frankly, of exhaustion that many of us were feeling about 18 months into the pandemic, where we're like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end and are we ever going to get a break? So help me understand it, because I think as you all ended up implementing it, and I know we'll talk about this more, I think it ended up being a seven-day period where your organization actually just stopped operating. That's right. So I can talk more about the process that we went about getting there, but the general outline was a seven-day radical reset. We shut down our entire organization. Everyone stepped away from the webcams and turned off their computers And we have continued to do that for the last two years, given the success that we face, and we can talk more about that. And we've also added a couple of additional, what we call rejuvenation days throughout the rest of our calendar. And so these are typically tacked on to the beginning or the end of maybe a long weekend, so that it gives our staff just a little bit of extra time away. And we found those to be incredibly popular and actually very helpful. There's something about having one extra day when you're not in the office and everyone else is, and then you get back, it's actually quite nice. And so I want to ask some questions that might feel like ignorant questions, but I'm going to ask them anyway. And I think I can definitely see the benefit of an organization saying, okay, we're just going to stop for a seven-day period. But one of my questions is, how is that different from vacation? Because, you know, presumably all of the staff at New Profit get vacation how is that entire organization stop, that radical reset, as you call it, how is it different? I'd say the biggest difference is that everyone is stopping. So my typical experience when I go away on the week of summer vacation is that the Sunday night before I get back, I'm looking in my inbox, I'm feeling incredibly overwhelmed because I have hundreds of emails that I need to respond to. And then I spend probably the next week, catching up on the week's work that I didn't do the week before. And by the way, that doesn't count the week before, where I probably spent an extra 50% of time getting prepared to go on vacation. I would say the biggest difference between the entire organization stopping and a week of vacation is that when you get back, with the exception of maybe some external inquiries that you've gotten, you basically are starting where everyone else is starting. And so people pick up where they were the week before, and you're all coming back renewed and refreshed and ready to move on to what's next and to dive back into the work. 
but I have not felt it. Most people don't feel this incredible sense of overwhelming need to respond to everything that's in their inbox. So to me, that's one of the big differences is just that everyone is actually off. And so you're collectively experiencing that period of rest together. So the piece, when I asked that question, the piece that I was thinking about and the answer I was expecting was, hey, you know, I don't get all these internal emails while I'm gone. But as you were answering it, what I also started to realize is that means your first day that you're back and you are catching up on those maybe urgent external emails, so are all of your colleagues. So instead of all of your colleagues being like, well, we're still at work, what are you doing? You're all like, okay, this is our first two days back, we just have to catch up. Right. Well, let me tell you what we did because of that. So in addition to the seven-day break, we actually created two days after our rest period, no meeting days, right? So basically no internal meetings are permitted. And that does give people the opportunity in those two days to basically dig out of their inbox, to respond, to set things up, to get their calendar set up for the rest of the quarter or whatever it might be. So we tried to build that in actually into our design. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's awesome. And so I've also got a question on seven days. Are we talking seven calendar days or are we talking seven work days? We've done it. And this was based on our own schedule and looking at our calendar for the year. And it will make what would make sense for different organizations will vary. For us, a relatively slow period of the year is the end of the summer, right before the beginning of the fall. What we do is the last week of August. And then that goes into the Labor Day weekend. And so there's five days that week, then go into Labor Day weekend, which you already have Monday off. We give Tuesday and Wednesday additionally off. So that is seven full days off. And then the Thursday and Friday become those no meeting days. So that's the way it typically happens for us. Kevin, I'm once again really surprised in such a good way. Okay, I was thinking, all right, one of those seven days is going to be Labor Day and it's not. So you don't steal a holiday to give seven days off. That's right. And I'm assuming people still have the same amount of vacation time, despite the fact that you now have an organizational reset and these longer rejuvenation weekends. Yes, yes, that's right. We'd historically also, and we do continue to historically give a bit of time off around winter holidays as well. But this one felt really unique and different because it was not across, you know, a series of different holidays. So yeah, we haven't changed PTO policies. We have, in essence, an unlimited PTO policy. But the main difference, as we talked about, was the fact that everyone else is off at this time. If we have time, I'd love for us to chat about your unlimited PTO policy. We have that at Successful Nonprofits, too. And we often have nonprofits say to us, oh, we couldn't do that because we're a nonprofit. And my response was, why not? <laughs> like, why not? I don't understand that. So let's talk about how you actually created this radical reset. I know you said, you know, you all decided seven days was the right number. So it sounds like maybe there were some internal discussions and conversations about how do we do it and how do we arrive at the right amount of time? Sure. So we went about, this was a meaningful, intentional process that we went about designing this. And I would say that there was one core principle that I'll just start with that really informed our design and the implementation. And that was around making it available to everyone. So we felt it was really important for this to be an organization-wide commitment to rest. And we knew that it wouldn't work if some people were getting benefits to it and others were not. So we were thinking a lot about teams and functions. And what we were really hoping to ensure was that there wasn't any sort of a disproportionate burden placed on any individual or any team because maybe their job might be a little less flexible or something like that. So we thought a lot about that when we were designing, and that was really the core principle. So what we did was we created a design team. 
And that design team was diverse in many different ways. It was cross-organizational, diverse in terms of race, tenure, level within the organization, the team that they operated on. And that group was charged over the course of several months with collectively designing and implementing what this would look like. So it was not a top-down leadership sort of designed or decision. It was really from the bottom up is the way that we did it. In terms of what that design team looked like, I talked about who was on it. We met pretty frequently. We met at least once a week for about two months. I was in charge of kind of stewarding and facilitating it. We were regularly checking in, project planning, et cetera. And then I would say the major activities that we were working on during that time period were three. And these were really kind of informing the decisions that we made. One was that we were gathering data. So we really wanted to understand from across the organization what people thought of the idea. Just generally, we'd never done something like this. Like, what did people think? Second, what specific information around timing or commitments or other things that we needed to know about or might inform how long or when to do this was data that we needed to understand from across the organization. And third, data from their team. We asked kind of each team manager, team leader to engage with their team. We gave them some talking points, some questions to raise at a team meeting to really understand, let them know what was going on and understand what some of the challenges of doing this might be and things we need to keep in mind. So that was the first thing that our team did was really gather a lot of data. The second thing we tried to do was really try to figure out the problems or concerns that were emerging or that we were hearing from that data. So like, what is it? that people are saying would get in the way of this being successful for their team? And what can we as a central design team do to help with that? For example, well, these are just examples of some of the things we heard. It'd be really useful to have some out of office messaging or language so that when we're away, people who email me know that they're not going to get a response. Can you help with that? Our partners and our funders, they really need to get in touch with me Can you provide me with some language that I can send to them in advance to alert them that I'm not going to be responding to their emails for a week and a half? I have to talk with a board member about this and get them to kind of buy into this idea. Can you help me with some talking points for that? I have some real obstacles that this is going to create for the function that I perform at the organization. For example, our finance team, they still need to figure out how to get payroll out and reimbursements done. Our people team still needs to hire people and interview people. So kind of understanding what those specific problems or challenges were that people anticipated and then working with them to address those. And we can talk more about that. The third thing I'll say, and then I'll stop, is that we regularly communicated this with the organization. I would say this is one of the key learnings for us was just the importance of communication and over-communication really being intentional about what we were sharing. We did it in a lot of different ways and we were as transparent as possible about what we were thinking, what we were planning to do, what we were hoping to do and what we were learning along the way. So we can talk more about any of those, but those would be, I would say, kind of the key activities that that design group was working through. And so let's dig into a little bit into the tactics on that. And let's actually start with communication. So I heard you say that you had some team members who needed some language that they could send to partners or funders explaining, hey, I'm going to be off for this period of time. How far in advance did you all notify partners and funders that there would be no response for a seven-day period? So this has been, I would say, a bit of a learning for us. The first time we did it, we tried to consolidate it. We tried to do it all too quickly. 
And we realized that, and we got a lot of feedback from our team afterwards that, wow, that was really great and rejuvenating. And it would have really been helpful if I had more than like two weeks advance notice to be able to tell everyone about this. So in the first case that we did it, we did the entire process from sort of initial idea to actual week and a half off in two months, which was way too little time. As we move forward, we've been really moving to try to get the dates approved and on the calendar up to a year in advance. We're not quite there, but that's what we're trying to do so that people can really plan ahead. And the nice thing is about now having done this for a few years is that we now have a set of language and talking points that people can start using well in advance. In general, I would say two weeks is probably on the shorter end of how much time people were hoping, especially because you're often scheduling calls, you know, two weeks out. And so I think at minimum, probably a month would be a time frame that I would say would be reasonable to start to notify some of your people and maybe even earlier if you're scheduling things out months in advance. You'd also mentioned talking points for a conversation with a board member. So when you first approached your board about this, what did they say? Honestly, because of the moment that we were in, and many of them are experiencing the same things we were, there wasn't a huge amount of pushback. I think that over the last couple of years, one of the things, and we have tried to do this, use our platform to talk more, and you mentioned a few of the articles, to talk more about the importance of rest and these sorts of things. So I think actually the sector anecdotally is moving in the direction where there's more acceptance of that. But a couple of years ago, it was a little bit newer. I wouldn't say that we faced a lot of pushback. It was mostly just questions about what will it actually look like? How will the things get done? If I need to talk with someone during the break, like who do I contact? I can share more about how we handled some of those issues as well, if you're interested. But I wouldn't say it was too challenging. We just tried to be aligned about what we were doing, being really clear about it and explaining the why, which I talked a little bit about earlier, which is not solely a break, which from our perspective is all about impact. And we thought that we could have greater impact if our staff were in a place when they returned that was different than when they left. And so let's talk about a couple of those operational pieces. You've mentioned payroll several times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it's probably pretty obvious, but basically as soon as we figured out that we were going to do this, it was just working with our finance team. You know, they're always operating on a calendar and they just work with them to say, all right, like look at the payroll dates, look at the dates when reimbursements need to be submitted by, look at the dates when checks need to go out. Let's figure out how we can adjust our schedules so that those don't have to happen. So they put two cycles of payroll in, in advance before they go up. They make sure that any invoices that are due X number of days, you know, during or after are actually, you know, need to be put in before. So most of those are just handled, I think, with good planning and a little bit of advanced planning. And so that's mostly how we handle those. You'd also mentioned, you know, we can't put hiring on pause. And admittedly, part of me thought, yeah, you know, how many people really want to interview the week before Labor Day or, you know, two days after Labor Day. But so did you all ultimately just decide, okay, we're going to put hiring on pause for that seven, eight, nine day period? Exactly. And I will say this was a little bit of a surprising learning, though, when you think about it, maybe not that surprising. People are very impressed with an organization that's making that sort of a commitment to rest. And so when we would reach out and say, you know what, we're going to be away for two weeks, so we're going to have to pause our process. We'll pick it back up again the second week of September. And the reason is because we're having a radical reset and a period of collective rest at our organization. And that actually is seen as a pro, like at least 
two years ago, and I think still so, because there aren't tons of organizations who do it. And so they're really seeing that as something like that shows your commitment to people. So we've actually seen that as a, a net positive when we've notified candidates about their interviews. Very cool. Very cool. I'm also very curious to know, was there anyone who was upset by this? Any funder, any partner, anyone at all who was like, hey, this is your organization. You run it how you want, but we don't agree. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's anyone who was upset. I would say the main pushback or the feedback that we got, as I mentioned, was that we didn't give people enough advance notice. And so there was the first time. And I think each time doing a little bit better at that, though still room for improvement. But basically, you know, we had people who on our team, on our staff, who are responsible for big convenings or big events or had big deliverables due in the, you know, mid to late September, early October timeframe. And that like two week period when no one else was around to work on it with them or for them to make progress on it or to communicate honestly with external people who need information about the event that they're coming to in a month. That was really challenging. And so there was some people that ended up occasionally, I think, having to step in and do something or, you know, respond to a specific need. So we got some feedback that there was some people on our team in certain pockets that were working on certain activities that because they didn't have more advanced notice, it was really challenging for them to deliver on work that they had already committed to doing. And so that was probably the biggest feedback and pushback that we got. So that's why when it comes to the advanced planning, we're really now working, given that we know, for example, we're doing it again, way last fall when those teams started putting together their convening calendars for 2023, decided, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have our convenings the third week of September. Why don't we aim for first week of October or something like that? So that's really the main pushback that we got. And it's funny, I had a sense that's where you were going to go with that too. Is like, yeah, now we just plan our year around the fact that we're going to be gone. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool indeed. So, this is going to be your third year doing it. My assumption is you're probably going to continue to do it year after year. What impact do you see from this? So let's see. I would say one, and this is not surprising, people just really value the time away, right? So that's pretty obvious. But our engagement scores, if you looked at it, if you use that as any measure of something, did go up meaningfully after this. Now, we also put in place a number of other things. So it's difficult to tell how much that was impacted specifically by this. But I would say that people really do value that time away. And that's one impact that we've seen. Second, I think this has elevated the importance and the concept of rest into our organizational language and dialogue just more broadly. So it's now something that's on the table when we're thinking about designing other things or other convenings or retreats. Or when we sit on boards of directors, which is part of what we do as our work, we can advise them on how we have thought about this and how we are putting this in place. So that's, I think, been, it has just elevated the concept of rest as being a value and a principle that is informing other decisions that we're making, both internally with our staff team, as well as in the work that we do externally and the other organizations that we're interfacing with. And then the third that I mentioned is that I do think, or I hope, and we certainly planned for or hoped that our efforts in this area would serve as an example for the sector. We wanted to make it normal and start to normalize that this is something that organizations really should do and need to consider in order to create workplace environments that include all of those things that I mentioned earlier around creativity and adaptability and all of those things. And so 
I don't have anything other than anecdotal data to go on, but my sense is that there is a general move in the sector towards this. And if your podcast is any indication of that, I know that over the past several months, you've had a number of topics that relate to this topic generally. So I'm hopeful that one of the impacts of this work that we are doing in New Profit is being able to share our experience with others to push the sector more in that direction. I'm glad you are. It's successful nonprofits. We're doing our part to push the sector in that direction as well. And I'm glad you all are doing it too. A couple other things I want to just explore with you before we run out of time and I have to go, oh, time for the off the map question. So you've mentioned that these rejuvenation weekends where you might tack an additional day onto a long weekend. How many of those do you do a year and how do you space those out around the year? Right now we have two of them. One of them is the Friday before Memorial Day. And one of them typically lines up with the 4th of July because the 4th of July is constantly moving. It varies a little bit, but yeah, it's just like a little nice extra day. And This was actually a big question that we considered when we were designing the rejuvenation break was whether there needed to be any sort of agenda for people, right? Like oftentimes in sabbatical, sometimes like, oh, you have to come back and, you know, present what you learned or what you did to the rest of the organization. And we thought about that in the context of the rejuvenation break, as well as, you know, should there be something that we kind of request people to do? And we really decided not to. We thought that our staff really kind of know what they need and can use it however they want. And so for both the rejuvenation week and those rejuvenation days, there's nothing that's required of them. And that one extra day at two different times of the year, tacked on to three-day weekends have been very, very popular. I will share with you, I am taking a sabbatical this summer. Lexi's my colleague here at Successful Nonprofits. And at some point, Lexi asked me, she's like, and we're the only two W-2 employees. I should be clear, we're the only two W-2 employees. And at some point, Lexi's like, Dolph, are we going to be closed on Monday, July 3rd? And I was like, Lexi, we have an unlimited PTO policy. You decide whether or not we're going to be closed on July 3rd. <laughs> that's funny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's a, that's, a good day to, that's a good day to give folks the time off. The other thing I wanted to just briefly ask, you said, oh, our engagement scores went up, but we did a number of other things about the same time. Could you, and, and we won't have time to dive deep, but could you share some of the other things you all did? Yeah. So we've been investing a lot in, so I would say a variety of things. We've been investing a lot in our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts more broadly. And so we launched a process to bring on a new, in essence, managing partner of equity and proximity is what we call them. And so that person has joined the organization and is looking through a lot of our engagement scores, a lot of the areas where we're looking to improve and grow, and has just been really, really incredible at helping us to identify where there's some pain points in our organization, feedback that we're hearing, et cetera. So that's one thing that has been a big focus or orientation of our people team over the last year and a half. I think we're starting to make some real progress there. The second thing that we did is we dramatically overhauled our compensation system. So we did a basically year, year and a half long project with a consultant to bring a more equitable lens to how we do compensation. And we introduced an entirely new structure that has been a really hard, just time consuming process. Obviously, compensation means a lot to lots of people in lots of different ways. And so that's another piece that I think I would say potentially, you know, could be a contributing factor. I think we've gotten a lot more transparent and just clear about how we compensate people at New Profit and have tried to demystify that a little bit. So those are a couple of things. 
I appreciate that. And, you know, I'd said, okay, I've got a handful of questions before I go to an off-the-map question. And I think I've got a question that I bet a lot of my friends who are listening are probably wondering too. So you mentioned, okay, you got a seven-day period off in 2021 and 2022, and you're going to get again in 2023. So you've done this twice. You personally, Kevin, have done this twice. And keeping in mind that I can certainly accept that doing nothing can be joy in and of itself. What are your plans for your rest period this year? <laughs> it tends to, I live in outside of Boston. So in New England, it tends to coincide with the return to school. And I have two children. So what it enables me to do actually is to spend a whole bunch of time with my family and my kids the week before, or the week that they are going back to school to do first day activities. We end up going to see some family. That's what I'm looking forward to this year. Now, last year, I will say I did a project around the house that took the entire week. And I don't know if I would recommend doing that again, but that's what I did last year. I can only imagine what first day of school is like and being able to have some time around that would probably be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. It is my hope. And friends, I'll share with you, I actually have one client that currently does a rest week. They actually do it the last week of August. And so if your organization is able to, I would strongly encourage that you consider this. This is this going to be such a powerful thing. And also, as Kevin said, I mean, the upside of treating people right is more people want to come work for you and more people want to come stay, you know, working for you. So there's a lot of upside on this. If you're at all curious to learn more about New Profit, I would encourage you to go to newprofit.org. And when you are there, you can see the venture philanthropy work that they're doing, which is some really exciting work as they're helping organizations scale in ways that can really change the world in which we all live. Additionally, there are two articles that I think you would find incredibly useful if you want more information. The first is The Radical Act of Rest, which, as Kevin had mentioned, is an article that their co-CEO, Tulane Montgomery, has written. And that article's on LinkedIn. We're going to link to that in the show notes. Additionally, we actually found out about New Profits period of rest through an article in the Chronicle of Philanthropy by Emily Haynes. Emily, by the way, has been on the podcast as well. And her article was how fundraisers can get off the road to exhaustion and burnout. And in that article, they actually talked to some folks at New Profit. And so that's how we learned about what New Profit's doing. Additionally, friends, if you have found this episode useful, there are two that I hope you will consider. The first is episode 200, Self-Care Tips for Coming Out Stronger with Beth Cantor. You might think to yourself, you know, I'm not the executive director. I'm not the chief administrative officer. I'm not the board chair. I can't affect this change in my organization. And that might be true, but there are always some ways that you can be engaging in self-care. Also, episode 292, Tips for Making Your Dream Sabbatical a Reality with Emily Raskin. You know, the flip side of this period of rest is also finding ways that the people in our organizations can take more extended personal periods of rest, really take those full-on sabbaticals. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Glad to be here. It's been really fun. All right, my friends, that is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And, you know, the lawyers, they always make me give you the disclaimer.
And lately, I've just been throwing it in ChatGPT. This time, I asked ChatGPT to give me some haikus. So here is the disclaimer as a very short haiku. Podcast guide, I am. Not accountant, nor lawyer. Seek pros for advice.